Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages and our hope can bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, it's not unusual this time of the year for people to attend Christmas pageants. In fact, maybe some of you have Christmas pageants on your calendar already. Well, it reminds me of this children's Sunday school class that was hosting a Christmas pageant for the entire church. And one of the scenes of the pageant involved the story of Mary and Joseph arriving at the end. Remember the way the story is usually told is Mary and Joseph arrive at the end only to find out that there's no more room, forcing them to go to the place where the animals are. Well, there was this little guy in the Sunday school class at the church. He was maybe seven, eight years old, and he desperately wanted to play the role of Joseph. He dreamt about being Joseph, having that lead role, being in front of the congregation, playing Joseph. But when the parts were given out, he found out that not only did he not get the part of Joseph like he wanted, but to make matters worse and add insult to injury, a boy whom he did not like, with whom he did not get along. Us adults, we never have that problem. Sometimes kids do, right? Uh, Clearly, I'm being sarcastic. But a boy with whom uh, he did not get along was given the part of Joseph, and this young man was assigned to be the innkeeper. So all during the rehearsals, he thought about what he might do to get back at his rival. A very Christian thing, right? Well, finally, it was the night of the big performance. The congregation was packed. There were moms, there were dads, there were brothers, there were sisters, there were aunts, there were uncles, there were grandmas and grandpas and cousins and second cousins and third cousins once removed. You name it, everybody was there. Mary and Joseph come walking across the stage. They get to the inn. They knock on the door. The innkeeper answers the door, and in a gruff voice he asks, what do you want? And Joseph timidly says, well, we need a room. My my fiancé is obviously pregnant, and we need a room for tonight. Well, with that, the innkeeper flung the door wide open, and he said, great, wonderful, I have lots of rooms. I'll give you the best room in the house. There was this awkward pause. But then the kid playing Joseph didn't miss a beat. He took one look inside the inn, he scanned his head, he turned to Mary, and he said, forget this dump, Mary, we're going to the barn. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. That's not the entire sermon. Well, culturally, over time, we have come to alter the Christmas story a little bit. Maybe not intentionally like those kids, but there are ways in which we as people, over time, culturally, we have come to alter the Christmas story a little bit. For example, it may surprise some of us to know that no innkeeper is ever mentioned in the original Christmas story. Do you know that? No innkeeper is ever mentioned in the original Christmas story. And it's debated whether Mary and Joseph even went to an inn to begin with. Because the Greek word that's used there in Luke chapter 2 for inn, a number of scholars believe that that was probably a mistranslation. That a better translation would be spare room. 
that the word probably wasn't referring to an inn like a hotel room, but rather to the spare bedroom, the spare room, and the house belonging to Joseph's family. Because remember, while Mary's family was from Nazareth in the north, Joseph's family was from Bethlehem in the south, part of Judea, and other family members had probably come to Bethlehem for the census, and they were staying in that spare room in the home. So in that sense, there was no room for Mary and Joseph in that spare room. Had Mary given birth in that room, according to Jewish law, it would have rendered the entire room unclean. Nobody else would have been able to use it. You probably already know this, but no drummer boy is ever mentioned in the original Christmas story. I know Will is really disappointed about that as somebody who plays drums, but no drummer boy is ever mentioned. There's a song that we hear about a drummer boy, but he's never mentioned. The number of magi is never mentioned. We assume that there were three magi because they brought three gifts, but the number is never given to us. And in all likelihood, the magi probably weren't there with the shepherds that first Christmas night in Bethlehem. They probably didn't come until much later. We tend to lump them together in our nativity sets, but they probably came later on. Also, the Bible says nothing about it being a silent night. Uh, there's a carol that we sing, and I love that carol. Don't get me wrong. We're going to sing that carol on Christmas Eve during our candlelight services, but it probably wasn't a silent night. Those of us who have had babies know that babies are hardly ever silent. My point is, there are all kinds of ways where as a culture, we have come to alter the Christmas story a little bit. And so, folks, as we find ourselves in the season of Advent, uh, this season of preparation that brings us into Christmas, uh, what we're going to be doing as a congregation over the course of this season is we're going to be looking at the Christmas story more carefully, with more attention to every detail. And we're going to be doing this through a sermon series that we're calling The Characters of Christmas. The Characters of Christmas. In these messages, we're going to be looking at some of the characters of the Christmas story. Not all of them, but we will be looking at a good number of them. And my hope and my prayer for us as a congregation is that as we look at these characters, we will come to better understand and appreciate the Christmas story as we find it in Scripture and also discover the truths about God and ourselves that we glean from the story. Now, before we go any further, let me say a quick word about the name of the series, The Characters of Christmas. Please keep in mind that while we're using the word character to refer to these figures, we're not using that word character in a fictional sense, in a made-up sense. There is nothing fictional or made up about the figures that we'll be talking about. They were all historical figures, historical figures whose stories point us to the one whose birth changed everything, Jesus the Christ. And in fact, Jesus is the character, the figure, with whom we're going to end this series on Christmas Eve night, December 24th, as we gather in the sanctuary for our candlelight services. And I certainly hope you'll make time to join us for one of those two services on Christmas Eve. If you're going to be out of town, you can also join us on the internet. And so, as we dive into this new sermon series for Avon, we're going to begin with our first two characters, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Can you say these names with me? Elizabeth and Zechariah. Their story is found in the Gospel of Luke. Actually, their story is exclusive to the Gospel of Luke. It is only told in the Gospel of Luke. Um, Luke chapter 1. And so I invite you to listen carefully to these words. It's kind of a big passage. It begins in Luke 1, starting in verse 5, going all the way to verse 25. When Herod was king of Judea, 
And by the way, this is something that Luke does throughout his writing. Um, He always situates the story of Jesus in human history, and the way that he does this is by naming historical persons, historical persons that we read about not just in the gospel, but also outside of the gospels, uh, because Herod was certainly a well-known figure in history. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So just imagine the story unfolding. He's inside the uh, sanctuary burning this incense, and this great crowd is standing outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing to the right of the incense altar, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Imagine how Elizabeth felt about that comment. Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent, unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. This is the word of God for the people of God to which we all say together, thanks be to God. Let me ask you a question. You ever longed for a miracle before? You ever longed for a miracle? Well, as the Christmas story begins, we find the Israelites, the people of God, desperately longing for a miracle. You see, at the time that God sent the angel Gabriel from heaven to Zechariah, it had been more than 400 years since God had last spoken to his people. More than 400 years since God had last spoken to his people. Four centuries of nothing but apparent silence on the part of God. And so to the Israelites, God's people, it seemed as if heaven's doors were shut. In fact, before this encounter that Gabriel has with Zechariah, 
the very last word that God officially spoke to the people of Israel came through the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament. And so check out these words from Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, as God speaks to his people through the prophet, these are the very last words of the Old Testament. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, Look, I am sending you, the prophet Elijah, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This was the last recorded message from God, spoken around 430 B.C. And to the Israelites, it didn't seem as if this message was ever going to be fulfilled. You see, what had happened after God spoke these words to the prophet is that things didn't suddenly get better for the people of God. If anything, things got worse. Israel had been shaken by revolution and war. The vast majority of God's people had been scattered among conquering nations. And then to make matters even harder, what had happened around 63 B.C., and we have an artist rendition of what this scene probably looked like, around 63 B.C., Rome came in. The Roman Empire subjugated the Israelites, forcing them to become second-class citizens in their own land, the very land that God had promised their ancestors, going all the way back to Abraham in the book of Genesis. And so, folks, if anybody had reason to despair, relinquish hope, toss in the towel, the people of God did. This was a time of complete and utter darkness. <laughs> and yet, in the midst of such darkness, God was up to something, wasn't he? God was moving. God was working behind the scenes. You see, folks, an important truth that we glean from the Christmas story is this. God's silence does not equate with God's inactivity. God's silence does not equate with God's inactivity. Are there spiritually dry seasons that you and I go through where it's difficult to feel God, sense God, hear from God? Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. But that doesn't mean that God has forgotten about us. God never forgets his people. A few years ago, MIT, you ever heard of MIT before? One of the premier research schools in our country, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Well, a few years ago, MIT did a study about how long famous people stay in the public memory. Anybody want to take a guess as to how long famous people, celebrities, stay in the public memory? The answer, they said, is between 5 and 30 years. 5 and 30 years. The researchers at MIT did a comprehensive analysis. They traced the fade-out of songs, movies, sports stars, patents, in scientific publications. These researchers drew on data from sources including Billboard, Spotify, IMDb, Wikipedia, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, and the American Physical Society. After doing this research, the team designed mathematical models to calculate the rate of decline. They found, and I quote, it's up here on the screen, the universal decay of collective memory and attention concludes that people and things are kept alive through oral communication from about 5 to 30 years. The universal decay of collective memory and attention concludes that people and things are kept alive 
through oral communication from about 5 to 30 years. That's it. 5 to 30 years. We as human beings tend to be on the forgetful side. God isn't. God never forgets his people. In fact, it's fitting that the first person to whom God goes, the first person to whom God speaks through Gabriel after more than 400 years of, after more than 400 years of silence is Zechariah. Why is that significant? Why is that fitting? Because Zechariah's name literally means the Lord has remembered. Don't you love that? And in this remembering, what does God do? God acts. God intervenes. God doesn't just act and intervene for the people of Israel in general, but God acts and intervenes for Elizabeth and Zechariah in particular. Because one thing that Luke tells us about this couple as the story opens up is that Elizabeth and Zechariah are struggling to have a baby. They struggle with infertility issues. Now, of course, infertility issues are painful for any couple wanting to have a baby. And over the years since I've been a pastor, I've had people disclose to me the pain that they've had, the pain that they've experienced when struggling with infertility. But infertility was especially painful 2,000 years ago in this culture because there was a theological assumption that people carried that if a couple could not get pregnant and have a baby, they must have done something wrong. People thought back then, well, they must have done something to have upset God, offend God put God off. They must have committed some great sin. Otherwise, God wouldn't be punishing them by not allowing them to get pregnant. The gospel writer Luke wants us to stay far away from that kind of assumption. That's why he says these words about Elizabeth and Zechariah in verse 6. It says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. In other words, Luke wants us to understand that Elizabeth and Zechariah's struggle to have a child has nothing to do with them and everything to do with bad circumstances. Sometimes in life, bad things happen, don't they? And there's not necessarily a rhyme or a reason. That's why... I really can't stand the cliche, everything happens for a reason. That's a cliche that's not rooted in the Bible. Sometimes things happen and there's not necessarily a reason. They just do. Here's what we hold on to in the midst of such distress. God has remembered us. God has remembered us. The same God who remembered his people Israel after more than 400 years of silence as they were being oppressed and subjugated by the Romans. The same God who remembered his servants Elizabeth and Zechariah and their struggle to have a baby. That same God, Almighty God, has remembered us too. He has remembered you and he has remembered me. Listen, God is not intimidated or threatened by the things that plague us, the struggles that you and I have. And even now, God is working behind the scenes for our good. That's what this story demonstrates. Another thing Luke goes on to tell us about Zechariah is that Zechariah was a priest. That was his vocation, his profession, his calling. He was a priest. And not only was he a priest, but he was a priest who came from a priestly family. He married into a priestly family. In other words, this guy was a priest in the fullest sense of what that means. 
He was as priestly as they came. And Luke says that one day as a priest, what was Zechariah doing? Well, he was serving God in the temple. The Jewish house of worship, the holiest site in Judaism at this time. When suddenly the lot fell on him to go into the sanctuary, the holy place, and burn incense at the altar. Now, we cannot overstate this. As a priest, this would have been a tremendous honor for Zechariah. Think about the high point of your own career. This would have been the high point of his vocation. For the rest of his life, he would be remembered as a priest who at one point burned incense at the altar. If there were obituaries back then, that information would have been included in his obituary. Zechariah one time got to burn incense at the altar in the sanctuary of the Lord. But what made all this even more sacred and special is that while he was burning the incense, what happened? This angel shows up to him. Now keep in mind, angels didn't just regularly show up to people. Sometimes as modern 21st century people, we read about angels in the Bible and it gives us the impression that angels were all over the place. Angelic encounters were rare back then. And how long had it been since God had last spoken to his people? 430 years? And the message that Zechariah receives from Gabriel is that his wife Elizabeth is going to get pregnant and give birth to a child. And this child is not going to be any ordinary child any typical child. This child is actually going to fulfill the very words that God spoke through the prophet Malachi. Folks, listen once more to this passage from the Old Testament. Again, these are the closing words of the Old Testament. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Look, I am sending you, God says, the prophet Elijah, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, I want us to compare these words from Malachi that God speaks in 430 B.C. to what God says through the angel Gabriel to Zechariah. Notice the similarities here. And he, that is the child promised to this couple, will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of who? Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Put simply, this child promised to Elizabeth and Zechariah fulfills Malachi's words. God keeps God's promises. God always keeps God's promises. God doesn't necessarily fill those promises according to our timetable, but God always keeps God's promises. Promises are important to keep, aren't they? Earlier this week, I was reading about this story. Uh, this was a story that ran actually a few years ago. Uh, news outlets reported on it. About an 85-year-old man in Japan who was on a quest to fulfill a promise that his dad made during World War II. You see, what had happened was, during the war, uh, this man's father, at the time he was 16 years old, well, one day he was in a field with his father, again, this was during the war, 1940s, they look up in the sky, and they see these American airplanes. Well, suddenly the American airplanes were shot down, and those men were killed. The United States government had no idea what had officially happened to these men, so they considered them missing in action which means that their families in America never got closure. 
They suspected that their loved ones were killed, but they never knew that officially. So this man is a 16-year-old in Japan. Even though at the time Japan and America were at war, he took it upon himself to personally track down these families, let them know what had happened to their loved ones. He did this throughout his life, up until he died. And then when he had died, he had contacted most of the families by that point, not all of them. So his son took it upon himself to finish that mission. That's what he did in the year 2015 as an 85-year-old man. He fulfilled the promise that his dad made years and years earlier. Promises are important to keep. God kept the promise that he made through Malachi in 430 B.C. to send somebody in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, who was Elijah? Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, probably the most famous of the prophets. Remember, Elijah was also there with Jesus at the transfiguration. In many ways, in the New Testament, Elijah stands in for all the prophets. God promised to send somebody, and Elijah's spirit and Elijah's power, and that person whom God promised, that person who eventually came, was John. Or as we know him, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the child born to Elizabeth and Zechariah this couple who desperately wanted to have a baby. So not only did Elizabeth and Zechariah finally become parents, but they became parents of the last of the prophets, the bridge between the Old and New Testaments, the man who would come to serve as the forerunner of Jesus, who would get everybody ready and excited for the coming of God's Messiah into the world. When Zechariah first hears all this from Gabriel, he has a hard time believing it, doesn't he? To be honest, who can blame him? Again, these were real people, real problems. Who knows how many failed pregnancies he and Elizabeth had to deal with before this? In fact, did you notice that after she became pregnant, she, she went into seclusion for five months? Probably because she didn't want to deal with the hassle of having to tell people that she had lost another child in case that happened in utero. So as a result of his skepticism, that's really what it was. It wasn't so much doubt, it was skepticism. Zechariah is made mute, unable to speak until the child is born. When I was a kid, I would read this story, and I used to think that being made mute was a punishment for Zechariah. I'm not sure I see it that way anymore. I tend to see it as a gift. Think about it with me. Now Zechariah can sit in silence, recognizing God's movement behind the scenes. Now he can develop during this season more faith, more trust, more confidence in God. Now he can really understand the power behind the words of Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Zechariah can truly be still and know that God is God, that God works even in ways that we don't see. That's the message that we all need to hear this Advent season, that God is working even when it doesn't seem that way. Is life difficult? Is life challenging? Does life throw us curveballs? Absolutely. There's no getting around that. But just as God was up to something that first Christmas, after more than 400 years of silence, God is up to something today in 2022. Just as God was breathing new life through the coming of Jesus into this world, God, was breathing, God is breathing new life into our situations today. 
The same God who was committed to his people Israel, who was committed to his servants Elizabeth and Zechariah, that same God is committed to us too. And he invites us to wait with silent trust, believing that his purposes are still unfolding, even in ways that we may not see. In April of 1970, 52 years ago, Apollo 13 was on a mission to the moon. You remember what happened to that mission? It had to be aborted because there was this onboard explosion. And as Apollo 13 began the process of re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, there was a blackout that happened where the crew on board lost communication with mission control in Houston. Imagine how absolutely terrifying that must have been. There was nothing that they could do on their end. 30 seconds went by. A minute went by. A minute and a half went by. Two minutes went by. Two and a half minutes went by. Still there was nothing. That blackout ended up lasting for three minutes. Now to us, three minutes might not seem like that long of a time, but to those folks, three minutes felt like an eternity. But here's the deal. Even while the crew sat helpless in space, Houston Control was right there on the ground addressing the problem. God is right there. God is right there addressing our problems too, even when it doesn't seem that way. God's silence does not equate with God's inactivity. God never stops working for our good. Christmas is about God entering the world, bringing about something new. Allow God to bring about something new in your life, in your situation. And until that happens, wait in silence, trusting that his purposes are unfolding in ways that you may not see. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that even when it doesn't seem that way, that you are at work. You never stop working. You love us so much. You are always doing something for our good. Help us to understand that, to grasp that truth and the depth of who we are. We praise you for the spiritual truths that we glean from Elizabeth and Zechariah's story. Thank you, God for this child that you sent, John, who ultimately prepared the way of Jesus, prepared the way for Jesus, who got everybody ready for the coming of your Messiah into the world. God, we pray that during this Advent season, you would prepare our hearts so that we could once again welcome Jesus the Christ into our lives. We ask all these things in his name.